Today's reading is Revelation 1, verses 4 to 8. It can be found on page 1137 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. The word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me. Our gracious God, we come here this morning and we're not all in the same place, thankfully. We come with different stories, we come with different dynamics. We might come believing and embracing you like never before. Others of us might come, we feel like we're losing our faith. Or some of us come and we feel like for the first time we're gingerly stepping our toe into the waters of faith, but it just feels like there's too many questions, there's too many doubts. And as we come from these different places, maybe grieving, maybe excited, maybe hurting, maybe feeling healed, um, the truth is we're all in the same boat. We're all more of a mess than we care to admit. And the story that we keep um, weaving our lives into, the story of your grace in scriptures tells us that even though we're more of a mess than we care to admit, through Jesus, we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. So we live and we listen to that tension. More broken, more sinful than we care to admit, and at the same time, you enter in and you love us beyond our wildest dreams. May that grace, that undeserved grace, teach us and speak to us in ways that heal and rebuild and buttress the very things that we are going about in our lives today and tomorrow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is time? What is time? That was a question of the week last week. What is time? Somebody said, uh, I'm pretty sure this is someone in, in the youth class, um, oh, where'd it go? They said, clocks and years and minutes and hours and seconds and stuff. <laughs> how many, how many days, wait, how do I want to ask that? How many days does it take for the earth to go around the sun? Does anybody know? Three hundred and sixty. So somebody said, a qu and a quarter. Did you say that? So, and did somebody else, 
364 and a quarter or 65 and a quarter? See, oh, wow, you guys are geniuses. How, okay, but now that relies on, on, on it being a day and knowing what a day is. What's a day? How do you know what a day is? What? Everybody's just laughing? <laughs> Somebody said 24 hours. So the, what is, how, how do you get a day? Yeah, yeah. The amount of time it takes for the earth to spin around. That's, that's, that's time, right? Now we know. Time is um, 365 and a quarter uh, days of the, you know, the, the, the earth going around the sun and then the sun spinning one time is one day. And that it all, it's all perfect. It all fits together. It took us a long time in a way to figure that out um, throughout history. There was all kinds of ancient calendars, but let's fast forward and then get to the, um, the time before... 45 BC, there was this calendar that was the Roman calendar, but by this time it had gotten a little bit off because it included 355 days. So things were starting to get a little wonky in terms of, you know, the calendar and the seasons, and so they fixed it up and they realized this, we got to go with this um, Julian calendar, which has 365 days in it. And they, they, you know, they sync things up. That's getting pretty close, but they missed that quarter, right, that you guys... Brought up that that's 365 and a quarter. Um, and so by the time they got all of this, you know, six, only about 1,600 years later, they get to the point where um, now they're off by about 11 days. And they got to correct. And so then we transition to what we have now, the Gregorian calendar, right? Which includes, and in, in there's all kinds of little things in there about leap years and get, making up for that quarter, you know, 365 and a quarter, and all this good stuff. But we got it. We got it locked in. Now we're good. We know what time is. It's perfect, right? But hold on. What about, is time really that perfect and understandable? It seems like it should be. We like it being understandable, but what's the deal with daylight savings? <laughs> what's that all about? Isn't it starting to feel a little bit relative there? I mean, eh, let's just move it an hour. Who cares? And then I get up, you know, uh, I'm a... I'm a preacher, my thing is, my, I got a Sunday gig, right? And daylight savings is always kind of right before Sunday. So I got this locked in, you know, when you, I got four little kids. When you set those clocks ahead, the youngest ones, you keep their clocks behind for that first day at least, huh? Pretty smart, because we tell them what time they can get up on, on the clock. So if we're on our game, daylight savings, we don't change the children's clocks. <laughs> See, because time, you can kind of play with time, right? It's not such a fixed, perfect thing. And there's this thing called time zones, right? Time zones? What's that? How's that work? It can be one day in one place and another day. Isn't this starting to feel a little bit relative? And just to drop a bomb on it even more, you've got Einstein. And what did he figure out? Ah, time isn't so much this constant because... I'll give you an example. I'll act it out. So you guys have one version of time, and mine's going to be different. Okay, ready? So, see what just happened, and you didn't even notice, but time slowed down for me. Because I was moving. You guys know this? They put two atomic clocks in, one they left on the ground, another they put in a jet airplane and it flew around the earth. And guess what? The one that flew around the earth was a teensy tiny bit behind. Isn't that weird? So you get these science, it's not just a Star Trek gimmick thing, right? I mean, really, like if you travel at the speed of light, 
the other people back on earth are, are aging faster than you. Excuse me a second. <laughs> Didn't expect that. And so you get these kind of super smart people who don't mind living in some sort of strange, timeless reality. This guy named Julian Barber is, is a physicist who got his PhD in Einstein and all this quantum theory stuff. And he says, if you try to get your hands on time, it always is slipping through your fingers. People are sure time is there, but they can't get a hold of it. My feeling is that they can't get a hold of it because it isn't there at all. He says, as we live, we seem to move through a succession of nows. I am, he says, I aim to abstract away everything we cannot see and simply keep this idea of many different things coexisting at once. There are simply nows, nothing more, nothing less. Is your brain starting to hurt a little bit right now? Because I feel like we love, we, we need time. We need the security of that. We, we're, it's almost like we're made for it. And I don't think that just by me describing some of that, that you're ready to ditch your clocks. Um, so now, once you've stretched your brain to that point and you're thinking, well, time, sort of, if you're really paying attention to science and what, how things exist, you, your brain starts to stretch. You start to say, if you really pull back, you actually see a bigger, more mysterious, more complicated picture than what we normally like to live in from hour to hour. And then... I want you to be thinking about that and then to hear this from this passage today saying, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. I want you to hear it say in verse 8, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. What's going on there? What does that do for you to realize that Einstein, he put it this way, the distinction between past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. And then we read, I am the Alpha and Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. There's this ancient document, it's a um, summary of the Bible's teaching, and it came into existence right around the time when they made that transition to the calendar in the 16th century, the Gregorian calendar, and it's called the Belgic Confession, and it lays out, it says, how do you know God? The question, this is the second question in the catechism, or in the document, it's called a confession, and the means by which we know God. We know God by two means, and so you'll catch some of like the Einstein part. First, by creation, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, since that universe is before our eyes like a beautiful book in which all creatures, great and small, are as letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God. I feel like that's a little bit of what's you know, Einstein and quantum theory and the discussion about time, a little bit about what that's having you do. And then it goes on to say, and second, God makes himself known to us more clearly by his holy and divine word as much as we need in this life for God's glory and our salvation. It's not at all strange to say that what we're seeing around us also ties into what has always been said about this God in scripture and how he seems to be timeless, timeless. 
He seems to be able to exist out of time, outside of time. And yet, do you notice something else in this passage is that he clearly, it's clearly referencing that what we know of this God is only because he has entered into time, into our world that he's not limited to, but he definitely enters into. And so we read in verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, I mean, Jesus Christ himself, who is he? His God entered into time, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. When did that happen? That happened in time. The timeless God enters into time. It even goes on to say, and look, he is coming with the clouds. There's a story here. He has come and he's coming again and it's all happening in the confines of our understandable time. Let me show you a little bit about how that story has been always playing out. At the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And he saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And he, in the darkness, he called night. This is the creation story of the Hebrew scriptures that gives us this poetic six-day creation account. It's even framed by our conception of time. And it has God starting the clock, so to speak, winding it up. It's God who did it. That's kind of the point of Genesis 1. And then as you go on, you see that, you know, God carries this story because what is the seventh day? Or what does he do on the seventh day? Rest. And then God uses that rhythm of time to give us this gift that includes our process of finding spiritual shalom and wholeness by resting in time. Um, this is how one um, famous Jewish writer about this, he writes this book called Sabbath. His name is Abraham Heschel. And he said, the meaning of Sabbath is to celebrate time rather than space. He says, on the Sabbath, we are, or he says, on the Sabbath, uh, we try to become attuned to the holiness of time. And that's sort of what, the right view of what God is doing throughout this story as he goes, as he's giving his people these gifts, these ways to know him, to engage in spiritual wholeness, to connect with this God who enters from outside of time into our time. And he does that by using time there are festivals throughout the year and, and time is told through the timing of these festivals that God gives them and those festivals all just keep driving their whole lives in addition to the Sabbath every week. Those festivals keep drawing them into this loving, giving, redemptive relationship with their God who is outside of time. But he just feels fine entering into the confines of time. He's the God who reveals himself within time. There were 400 years that his people were enslaved in Egypt. There was 40 years that they were being led through the desert by their God. There was 70 years that they were in captivity in Babylon. And on and on, it's all told through time. This God who is in no way 
limited in the way you and I are by the confines of time, having no problem entering into the confines of time to bring relief and to bring healing and redemption in real time. What time? What time did he do it? How about the time of Caesar Augustus? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. This is Luke chapter 2. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. And God enters time. And that was the time that he did it. And then the amount of time, we learn, was 33 years. And why, did, why was it so short? Why was Jesus' time so short? Luke 22 says this happened later in time. And what time was it? Well... How about the festival of unleavened bread? Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus for they were afraid of the people. And verse 7 says, Then came the day. See how we're walking through time? Then came the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. And we talk about that when we, talk, when we go to this table. When the time comes for that in a little bit in the service, we always say, On what time did this happen? On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks and he broke it. That's the time. On the night he was betrayed. And what happened on that night? Well, there were different times throughout that night. Mark 15 tells us that it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And then the time progressed and it was at noon, we read, darkness came over the whole land until what other time? Until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And time is progressing and God himself has entered into it. And that is how he's entering into it. And then it was, what time was it next? It was we read in that same chapter, it was preparation day. That is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to ask Pilate for Jesus' body on preparation day, the day before the Sabbath. And then time keeps progressing. And in verse 2 of the next chapter, we read that what time? Did the next thing happen? Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, that's what time. They were on their way to the tomb, and they said to each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But they looked up, they saw this stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And someone dressed in white said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. And he rose in time. And then people saw him for 40 days. 
over 500 people saw him in real time. And we have a way of talking through who Jesus is and what Christians have always believed in him. I believe in Jesus Christ. Um, It goes, conceived by the Holy Spirit. You could add behind each thing in real time, because that's kind of, it's kind of this walkthrough of this journey. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. And then what time was it? On the third day, he rose again from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come. What time? I don't know. (laughs) I don't have that answer. We don't know, but he's coming in real time. It's all happening sequentially. God has entered in in a way that we can understand, in a way that you can keep. You don't have to be like some of those scientists I quoted earlier. You don't have to jump out of our conception of time and try to live in no man's land of no time and always being late. I think it's just an excuse to be late. I think those people, those physicists, I think that's what's going on there, don't you think? God enters into the sequential nature of chronology so that we can understand, so that we can meet him, so that we can know this God of love. He didn't have to. He didn't have to, but he did. So friends, what time is it in your life right now? What are your times like? I love, I think we all love the words of Ecclesiastes 3 when it says there's a time for everything. There's a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Where are you in time? God is timeless. He exists outside of it. It appears by what we see in here that he even created it and created us for time. So there's that. He's apart from it, but he's entered into it. So which do you need more right now in the time of life you're in? Do you need more to be humbled and mentally stretched to marvel at God is beyond the time that you live within? Do you, is time becoming oppressive? Are the events of time for you hurting you, making you sad, or really frustrating? You know, things aren't going according to schedule, or things have happened in real time that have hurt you that make you sad or that have you struggling? Do you need to think and apply to your life the timeless God who is there for you? He exists outside of it. To him, it looks very different than how it looks to you right now. Do you need that? 
Or do you need the God who enter? You need to focus and be stretched and to marvel at God entering into the confines of time when he didn't have to. The astonishing act of stepping in time with you and I. Out of love and compassion. That's the only reason he does it. It's the only reason we have for it, that he's entered in for love. Do you need to, is your, are your times calling for that kind of application? You know the little nut brown hair? You know that book? Little nut brown hair, how much do you love me? He asks, the, the rabbit asks the daddy rabbit, I guess, is how it goes. And, and it's like, I love you to the moon, and oh, well, well, I love you to the moon and back. And God says to us, I love you through time and back. God traverses time. It goes beyond that book. You know, it would be like the next thing in time. I love you through quantum physics and back. God says, I love you. I'll traverse time to have a relationship with you. That's what God does there. Is, does, do you need that right now in your times? Um, John Calvin, Reformation theologian, gives us an incredible thing to close with, and that is this. That the way God has revealed himself and chosen to connect with us is he uses the word accommodate. And he also uses the word condescend. God accommodates and condescends. And this is the picture he gives. He says it's like when a, an adult gets down by a, like a two-month-old baby and babbles. And the two-month-old is delighted. It's someone coming down and just babbling. It, it, Calvin says it's like God takes on a lisp to match how we talk. So, so you know, keep moving that child up a little older. Maybe the child's like like two, you know, and can kind of talk pretty good, but there's that lisp. Have you ever seen somebody do that? Hey, where'd you go today? You ever, ever do that? You talk like that, and then someone's watching you, and you may be a little embarrassed. God's not embarrassed. God gets down and says, oh, you want a little piece of bread? You know? Because you can't say your R's yet at that age. Oh, a piece of bread. <laughs> That's a picture of God accommodating and condescending across time so that we can know God and know his love. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you love us so much. We pray that you would help us to believe it as we hurt, as we struggle, as we celebrate, as we grieve, as we date someone, as we get married to someone, as we prepare to have a child with someone, as we prepare for children to leave the house and go on their own, as we prepare for more time, maybe not on that track, maybe being single and knowing you better, your love for us traverses all time. May we know that love, may we apply it and be comforted amidst all our struggles in all of our joys, and all of our trials. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As the offering baskets will come forward in a minute,